Welcome to Mastering Data, where we sit down with inspirational leaders in data and IT to hear their interesting career journeys and lessons learned. Each episode is packed with valuable insights and tips for those looking to excel in the world of data. So, whether you're just starting out or a seasoned professional, join us and get ready to take your data skills to the next level. Welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Data Podcast, and I'm really pleased today to be joined by Rajiv Pushparaja. Rajiv is the head of data at Zurich Insurance, and we recently met at a user group last weekend in Sydney. And um, I'm sure you've got an interesting story to tell, um, looking at your career history and experience of where you've been. And it'd be great, really, Rajiv, first of all, to welcome you to the podcast. So thanks very much for making the time to come along. Thank you for having me. And... I always do a bit of research right before people come along. We, I never kind of give the questions ahead of time. I like to have this conversation with people and, and I'm generally curious. And what intrigues me, um, Rajiv, about your experience is when I look at it, it's not that kind of traditional years and years in the data analytics space. It's very data heavy and data related, a lot of actuarial kind of work as well. And it intrigues me how you ended up as a role, you know, as a director of data and management at Westpac, and then now the head of data role at Zurich. I look further back though, I get more curious, right? Because then I see you went to Dundee University in Scotland. You also had early roles in uh, England and Birmingham. Then I've got Sri Lanka on here and other places, right? So and then I'm getting more confused the further back I go, right? So what would be really interesting is if in your own words, Rajiv, you can kind of talk me through where it all started from an educational perspective, I guess, how you kind of moved around like Sri Lanka, even Somalia, it's <laughs> so funny like that, right? And then how that journey developed from the actuarial side of things into the world of data. Really interested just to hear you talk through that journey and describe that for me. Yeah, it's definitely not a traditional data pathway for me. So going back a long time ago, so I was born and raised in Sri Lanka. I always had a keen interest for maths and physics. Okay. Ultimately, I think data is numbers. So uh, that's where the, the interest in sort of computing maths started. Then I moved to England to do my degree, higher studies. Uh, went okay. to Scotland, yeah. England, Scotland. Was that always the plan then? Because not many people are going from Sri Lanka to Dundee. No, that <laughs> right, fair. So, so how did that kind of come about? Like, you obviously realized you had a good aptitude for, for maths and kind of, you know, computer science. You wanted to do that and you knew that then. And was that the catalyst to kind of get out of Sri Lanka and get into kind of Europe and, and for your studies? A lot of Sri Lankans do end up going to Europe and especially England uh, for higher studies. Mm. That's normal, but it's not very normal to go to Scotland and to Dundee. <laughs> yeah. um, that's mainly because I got a scholarship in, okay. in in Dundee, when I was in school, I wanted to be a games software games developer. Yeah, and uh, Dundee was associated to uh, um, EA Sports at the time. Ah, right, and, yeah. Uh, that was my passion. Yeah, one day work in software sports development. Yeah, yeah, clearly didn't happen. Yeah, um, well, you didn't fall too far from <laughs> it. You too know? Far, yeah, so went to Scotland, went to Dundee, studied maths and computing. I was better at maths than computing at the time. And also I heard about actuarial for the very first time. I didn't even know there was a word called actuarial. Yeah, okay. Found out about actuarial. They said, if you're good in maths, actuarial is probably better than computing for you. Okay. I'm like, okay, uh, let's give it a shot. And I did an internship uh, in an actuarial firm. Academically, I was 
pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, getting a job wasn't that hard. Yeah. Got a job in actuarial, tried that. And like way too much numbers for me. Um, went back and started doing, um, thinking about what I should do. Then there was a software engineering internship. Like, Let me try the other part. Tried that in a ATM development company called NCR. I think if you look closely enough into ATMs, you will see the letter NCR. Oh, yeah, everywhere. yeah, yeah. Very um, Teradata-centric yes. NCR, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And did that for three months. And I was like, now I prefer actuarial compared to programming. Okay, so you're able to experience both to worlds, both and then you were able I to make a, a decision okay. uh, on, on one. Yeah, and also actual paid more than those helps computer science. <laughs> yeah. And as a as a twenty something year old, yeah. I'm like, I'll need more money, so yeah. let's yeah. let's money do talks. this. Yeah, went in there. I actually think actuaries are the closest breed to a data professional. Yeah, definitely. Just because they deal with data, they deal with large volumes of records, different forms of data. Mm. And they always try to make decisions off data and make, you know, create insights. So there is a close relationship between mm. actual and data. Yeah. And I see a lot of that. So in my experience, I see a lot. Those actuarial teams yeah. are very data hungry. Correct. They want all of the data, all the granularity, and they just want to be left alone by IT, <laughs> right? And do what they want to do. None of them, though, seem to have that motivation to want to step over that line and get into that you know, those heads of data roles in IT and in that corporate environment that prefer to be on the other side. And I think that decision point, which we'll come on to next, what intrigues me the most, I think, after establishing your career in, in the actuarial side of things, being obviously very sharp at math, very good at that, what pushed you or what motivated you to move to the other side of things? The most important factor was that I had a computing background which meant I've already studied databases. And when I looked at actual work, I'm like, this would better sit in a database. So mm-hmm. I didn't straight start switch off from, you know, from a data model, actual modeling to, to a data role. Yeah. So within actual, I started playing around oh, with okay. databases, putting all these large volumes of data into databases. Again, given that IT background, I was able to do that. It was showing value. People, actuaries were being promoted to become more data savvy. You know, we have data science courses within mm. within actual teaches you a bit more about how mm. to handle data. So it was a gradual progression in from data modeling to how to manage the data. And I think during that period, the last 10 years, there was also the volume of data increased uh, generally mm. across, you know, across the world, insurance, mm. finance, everywhere. And... The point when I decide, actually, I did not decide to go into data. I just happened to be there. So that's an interesting story. When I was working in Westpac in Australia, in, in, uh, in Westpac Life Insurance, and I went on to a reinsurance company, an American reinsurance company. Okay. At that time, oh, there was a Royal Commission happening. Oh, um, yes. And there was a massive need for data at very quick, you know, a very quick time frame. So one of the previous Westpac bosses called me and said, uh, you know, I know you like data. Uh, we have been smashed with Royal Commission stuff. Do you want to come and do this for us? And when we worked with uh, data and Royal Commission, we not just Westpac, the whole industry sort of recognized that how far behind insurance companies and financial services are in the whole data maturity. So that spawned a conversation on what should we do about it? And I just happened to be in that position dealing with Royal Commission. Our general manager asked me, what should we do about it? I'm like, maybe we should stand up a data team. And there was 
you know, surprisingly, this is one part of respect where data, there wasn't like a data team. Then it was decided within the few next few days that I'm going to lead the data team. Wow. Okay. So it's quite organic then. So I guess that yeah. Royal Commission created the opportunity. You were right place, right time. I was just, yeah, right place, right time. And Royal Commission was there. It created it. If there was no Royal Commission, they might have gone down a proper recruitment process mm. and I might have not been the best fit. Home. Yeah. But then we certainly wouldn't be talking about a day's turn around, be months you know, for anything to happen, you know? Yeah. So I guess there's a lot of um, virtues to be there. Yeah. And to take that opportunity on. And so I guess it wasn't a conscious kind of career decision. It was you had some of the academia background in computing. And you were probably well versed then, just given your actuarial background, to kind of take the reins in that role. I'm just thinking, you know, was there any downsides in terms of you hadn't been exposed to that world previously, do you think, that would have looking back set you up for better success, you know, leading data teams, or did it give you a better perspective coming from a different landscape? I think there's a bit of both. When it's about speaking to the business, I was probably a lot more clearer that they, they were able to relate to my language mm. uh, because I'm not speaking data speak. I'm not talking about warehouses. You're coming from a business value perspective. Right? So like, I was able to demonstrate that clearly. But on the other hand, I struggled when I actually go and speak to, when I was standing up a data team, we had a transformation program around $15 million on, on data. And this is the first time I'm setting up a, a data team mm. and data project. So I did manage to get some senior people to set the project up, but it was all new for me. Yeah. Warehouses, ETLs, and all of these terms. So I had to do a lot of quick learning yeah. to get up to speed. On one side, I had the upper hand in able to convince stakeholders to invest. On the other hand, I was struggling to understand what the, yeah, yeah. the actual data people were talking about. Yeah, yeah, I guess um, I guess that's probably the convincing people in the business. Yeah. You could argue is more important right, <laughs> to get the buy-in from your stakeholders because then you, you almost have to take a step back and let your team do what they're good at, which is, in my experience, when technical people have got their technical understanding, they struggle to let go of that ownership and, right. and, you know, let the data engineers take over. You don't necessarily have the same kind of you know problem because you can just you you have to sort of step back and trust them you know yeah. which probably puts you in a good place in that regard yeah i think so i think i was more outcome driven so uh, i trust the experts to do the 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 right bits but that didn't stop me from learning data and uh since then i've gone through lots of training uh whether it is warehousing data management data science so the last four or five years it's been trying to get up to speed with different data concepts. And because of my, I think there was a period where I, I was this actual analyst and then within three, four years, I was the head of data. Yeah, it's quite a short turnaround, right? Yeah, so I'm like, Especially at a big enterprise company like Zurich. Like Zurich. So uh, I couldn't just specialize in one thing. Like I couldn't go data engineering first, mm. then let's go into reporting, then go into governance. Yeah. Uh, all of this came at the same time, uh, even starting with Westpac. They're like, okay, you got the data, now what about governance? All right, let's learn about governance yeah. now. Um, so I had to learn the whole spectrum of within a very short period of time. I do have the excuse that I'm an actuary, so I don't have to be an <laughs> yeah. expert in That's all right. of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just naturally, as a, a, and a my personality is that I need to know in depth mm. of what I'm doing. Yeah. So I spent lots and lots of time trying to upscale myself all the way from 
engineering con- data engineering concepts to reporting insights and more importantly governance. Yeah. As we saw in the last couple of years, governance is now like the hot topic. Yeah. And it is not an easy topic to understand. Yeah. More theoretical, yeah. you know, what you can get your hands on anyway, you know. That's correct. So yeah, so it's 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 been an um, interesting journey. I feel like I have still a lot to learn in data. Again, my strength is that I can talk to my leadership team or the board and speak their language. And then again, I kind of get what you're saying. Uh, And I always apply that business length and not so much of uh, of what the underlying data is. And and just going back to the learning point, if people are out there listening to this podcast in a similar position to where you started, so they didn't necessarily come from a technical data engineering, you know, the traditional IT background, they could be coming from the business with that business lens, which, you know, we mentioned has really tangible benefits in those conversations. You had to take the hard path when you said, you know, you need to learn everything at the same time. Looking back and reflecting, what advice would you give or tips for people in that situation who have either just taken their first kind of steps into a career path on data or are in the infancy in the data capacity? What would what kind of areas of advice would you give them and how did you do it? I'm not sure whether lots of people would have a similar path to me, but let's say in a typical sense, that first thing, if you're in a data role, you're expected to know basics. The basics for me is you need to know SQL. Just like English as a communication language, SQL is a data language and you need to know that. So the first step is... If you are very new to data and IT, then learn that. Once you know your SQL, pick a couple of probably most used sort of platforms. You know, it could be cloud-oriented like Snowflake or, you know, it could be Microsoft SQL. Pick a couple of these platforms and learn a bit more deep into, into those tools, softwares, and also how you use it. One big advice is don't just read books. You need to get hands on. Mm. Even if it is small projects, there's lots of tools, lots of resources out there where you can get hands on. Start building stuff and come up with a problem if you are working, then in any any work environment, you are bound to have a work problem that can be solved by data. Use that as a use case and start small and start building, like get real with data. In this day and age, Make sure security, data security is key. Think about how you can make sure that the data doesn't get misused or is in the wrong hands. That part, unfortunately, I think is a lot of theory and you will have to upscale yourself on how to manage data. Your approach, Ruji, was to do this alone and kind of do the research and then kind of apply the skills with hands-on experience to solidify that learning or did you have anyone in your team that you were kind of asking questions of and say look how do you do this in the real world what's your experience because it's all very well reading the books and trying stuff in a kind of sanitized environment but did you have any mentors did you have any informal kind of conversations with the team to kind of help you learn or did you purely do it you know on your own at your own pace i'd say 70 percent, probably my own effort but yes you can get that insight from i did have a few people, uh, especially when I was in working Westpac, it's, it's a big organization. Mm-hmm. So you can tap into uh, different parts of the business, which are more mature using data. You can get some counsel to an extent of, uh, you know, how do you think, how, how did you set up a data team? What What, what is the yeah. learnings there? But the nitty gritty detail of, you know, concepts, solutioning a problem, you need to do it yourself mm-hmm. uh, to learn that. And 
and there's lots of resources, people out there in the online community who have helped me a lot. Uh, when there's a problem, you, you go to an online forum, especially for data, it's given it's so close to IT, you get answers very quickly. So I just want to circle back just to your experience to bring everybody up to date to where you're at Zurich now. So we talked about that kind of right place, right time um, at Westpac, which give you that kind of springboard to get into the data kind of domain. What was this decision around leaving Westpac to go to Zurich? What did that look like? And what was the catalyst for that? And then we can get on to talking about some of the stuff at Zurich as well then. So in Westpac, when I started the data project, it was for Westpac Life Insurance. The insurance company was about to get sold off to to Tal. Again, another interesting project when we were about to sell the company off, we had to do data separation. Uh, I had nothing, no idea about data separation. It was a good experience, but I know it's coming to an end. Like, you know, things are coming to an end. Uh, I could have gone to Tal, but I quite enjoyed setting up a brand new data team where the data literacy was very low within Westpac Life Insurance. So I wanted to redo it again. There were lots of learnings. And because I was anyway going to move jobs, I thought I'd look around to see whether I can redo this somewhere else. And Zurich Insurance Company, exact same problems. Mm. They did not have a data team. Actuarial background. Actuarial background. Made for the job. Yeah, CFO was looking for, uh, it was, it was, the data was under CFO. So given my actual background, like, Perfect. My, Talk the same language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you mentioned those learnings there that you, that you wanted to kind of reapply again, doing it again at, at Zurich. What would you say just three of those learnings were that you wanted to kind of maybe improve or, or get right second time around, if you like? I think in the first, first round, potentially also because I was new to data, a very cautious approach. And to that, respect being a big bank, they had very cautious uh, frameworks around it. So you have to do things slowly. You have to do things carefully with a waterfall approach. The learning from there is that you can't get data requirements, you know, all nutted down in one go. Um, I prefer the agile way of working. You know, you build stuff, products incrementally. And you get that feedback. You get the feedback going. So what, what we have done differently um, compared to Westpac is we have thrown away the business requirement documents. We do still have requirements, but it it's not in a full-fledged requirement not document. Not a 100-page yeah. document that sits yeah. on the shelf. Correct. It's yeah. just, in, you know, we do it in Confluence, get a few docu- requirements down. As soon as we have enough, we want to start building mm. prototypes. Uh, we build rapid prototypes and get feedback before we finalize uh, a report or a data product. That was different. And the second thing is the way teams were structured. Previously in my role, we had a very rigid structure. Uh, we had a testing team, we had a, you know analysis team and a development team. So again, very waterfall, uh, very again, very waterfall. So in, in Zurich, the way I have set it up is um, small squads, but they are end-to-end. They do things end to end. So multidiscipline kind of agile correct. teams. Yeah. yeah. So each squad would have an engineer, would have a data analyst. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I learned from our CDO in Zurich is when I came in, he said, we're not going to have any testers. I'm like, are you serious? Who's going to test all this stuff? Whoever builds it needs to test it. I was very skeptical about that message, but gone through this over a year now. I'm like, 
that should be the way to do it because that gives a lot more ownership for the developers and the squad developing it. And it also builds a good engagement between the business and the data team who is doing it. So the UAT is done by business, yeah. testing is done within the team, yeah. uh, and they have a full ownership of it. So we actually changed the the test, the way the teams are stru structured, uh, we got rid of the requirement document stuff. And also we have, this is more uh, just timing, I guess. Zurich is more on cloud journey, mm -hmm. um, whereas Westpac was very cautious about moving things to cloud. So we're using a lot of new tools. We, we use Snowflake, we're using DBG, we're using Alteryx, and we're using all the AWS services. So uh, it's new tools, uh, different team constructs, and agile ways of working. Yeah, and just hearing you describe that, it's one thing saying it, and I think from a cultural perspective, something like Zurich, an insurance company, more traditional, the way they were set up was probably quite different to that yeah. originally. And I'm sure you had to bring new people in of some existing people as part of the, those teams. But how did you change the mindset and the culture away from that traditional kind of waterfall-based model, like perhaps you were experienced more of at Westpac, to the environment like you described today? And how much of it was when people have remote work and a challenge to kind of embed that culture in that different way of working? Like, did you face any resistance? How did you do it? Because that's something, in my experience, that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, good question. Yeah, there's no, there's no easy way out, especially changing culture is the biggest challenge uh, in any transformation. So the good thing about Zurich is that the leadership team had uh, enough with the current ways of working and they really wanted a change. Okay. They, so they were already bought in to you know, wanting the change to happen and they were happy to support you know, yeah. those new ideas. That's right. And, and as an organization, Zurich wanted to go into agile, uh, enterprise agile. Across um, the board. Across the okay. board. Um, that was a long-term goal. We are still not there yet, but they thought, okay, if we are forming a new team, let's at least get the new team and the rolling in that, that agile okay. manner. So I had full support from the top, but that does not stop people having their own ways of working. Mm. So the new, as you said, some of the people who came with me from Westpac, they were up to speed with agile ways of working. Some of the people who we recruited were also we recruited for people with agile experience. Mm -hmm. The challenge is uh, the people who have had this process, the ways of working for, for a forever. long time. Uh, it is very difficult to unlearn and learn. Especially when you're in the same in environment, Yeah, you know? Or not. And I guess, you know, that's why I ask about the remote working problem. Is it a problem? Do you think it's easier to instill a new culture if everybody's there in person? And does it take longer, do you think, if people aren't you know, fully on site all of the time? In this new agent world, like in this, I don't think you have to ha be on, you know, in, in the office every single day, but you need some face to face interactions mm. to change culture. So we do have a one day in office. That's like a mandated, mandated yeah. one day in. I would encourage anyone to go into the office as much as possible, especially if you're starting a new job. One thing people don't realize is that having that face-to-face -face engagement is what's going to take you to your next role, next opportunity. If you're not in front of other people you know, in, in, in the leader's face, mm. you know, you're not going to be the first person that comes into someone unless... You are super bright, mm. you know, which is very rare. Probably, you know, ten percent of the whole organization would be the top 
10. Yeah. But for the remaining 90% to get opportunities, yeah. you need to be out there. Is that something that you've learned then, Rajiv? I'm interested in that point about mm -hmm. that visibility and that relationship building. Do you do you give that advice because it's something that you've you've witnessed firsthand in your career? Yeah, I think so. I think especially the, the move to data itself, like you know, as I mentioned, the Royal Commission. I feel like if I wasn't there and if I was just behind the computer doing some work, they wouldn't have thought about mm. me to lead this. Like I take significant effort to be face to face with people. So sometimes, you know, I love school drop offs. I still, if there's a meeting for one hour. I make it a point to drive into into work. I think that's crucial for anyone who's you know passionate to do the next big thing. So it, it's important. I think that is important to change the culture and also to, to find champions within an existing group. So some you know, there can be a, usually you find pockets of people and similar like-minded people attract each other. Mm -hmm. So you would find a pocket of people who are very resistant. But if you can click into one of them who's semi-resistant, yeah. then that's the best way to go instead of trying to change the whole group, saying we're going to have training sessions after training sessions. It does not work. Yeah. Uh, you pick one or two people, they feel that they are they have been picked for a reason. Uh, you train one or two people up, then then that just spreads yeah. better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So finding those advocates is the key, I guess, in bringing them on side. Correct. And then they'll almost do the rest of the work. Rest of the work for you. Effect. Yeah. I think it's a good approach to, and I guess the key thing is just knowing the people well enough to be able to identify those individuals that are going to help. You know, I think that's probably the, maybe it's the most challenging because it's not always, always so obvious. Again, that's the face to face interaction, right? So Absolutely. You, know, you can't, you can't gauge that by being yeah. you know. You know, you mentioned you, you brought people in from Westpac. You went out to the market and brought some people in. Was it hard to find? good talent, the right kind of skills in the market at, at a, you know, a reasonable price point as well. Was that a challenge? And how did you pick the people? Did you like, you know, were you looking for character traits over technical skills? Did you do anything different to attract those people in terms of recruitment and marketing around that? What did that look like, that picture look like for you? Getting people right is, is, is the foundation for, for a new team, for a project. So I, I take it very seriously when we are looking for people. And does that mean that you interview everybody that's going to be on your team yes. at some stage in the process personally? Yeah. That's right. So I like to know who's in my team, even if they don't report to me directly. And I've always told my team that character comes before technical skills because you can be the best technically, but if you don't have the right attitude, we can't work together. And especially in a, in a fast paced uh, environment, like, you know, in Zurich at the moment, we need people to have that can do attitude. Things are not very clear. We're dealing with old culture, new culture. So we need people who have that flexible attitude. Mm -hmm. The other thing important for me is also diversity uh, from different forms, whether it is background, whether it's gender diversity, I think. All of those is key in my team, so so that we don't have a singular way of yeah. looking at things. But it is hard because when you go to recruiting, especially IT data people, um, maybe was even harder a couple of years ago, mm. where there was like no one yeah. because of COVID. I go with two requirements. They're like, you know, it, it's hard when I say you need to have a 
we want to have a female, we want to have mm -hmm. someone from a different background. Yeah. Finance. It can't be so selective in yeah, a small pool. Like, no, I can't find anyone. Yeah. So it was challenging. Uh, we couldn't get everyone straight up, you know, directly. We had to use some consulting stuff, augmentation mm -hmm. through consulting. But some key roles, uh, I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, there would have been days where I have to go through six interviews yeah. because it's a brand new team uh, and I had to sound engaging in every single interview. Uh, but I want to get the right people in. Uh, you know, we want to get the right mix. Technically, we want to get the right attitude. There was a lot to ask, but in a large recruitment activity like that, you're bound to have some yeah, You can't success. get it right every time. Yeah, every right. time. So we do have some failures, but look, mm. got, you aim for a majority to be good. You know, what you mentioned, there's a lot of good positives from that that process I can take from that. But also it's time, um, a lot of time investment in terms of finding the right people, as you mentioned. Once you get those people in, you want to retain them. You want to try to kind of empower them and upskill them. How do you do that within Zurich? And um, I'm kind of mentioning um, something here. You mentioned about the training program to me the other day when we met as well internally. Interested to hear about that and kind of how that looks practically internally for your team. So again, if anyone's listening, they might see roles come up at Zurich in the future in the data team. Really great, I think, to give that inside perspective of what you do to train your staff because other people might resonate with them and they might kind of reach out, you know, to you and say, look, when you're recruiting, you know, consider me kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I think I personally believe everyone should be learning something all the time. Our CDO, John Kim, he is a big advocate of set some time up, even during office hours for learning. We have a regular, like a, like a scheduled meeting on our calendars that sets up a certain number of time a week. So a fortnight for us to learn something new. It says learn something new <laughs> and it's blocked off so that you don't have any excuse that you don't have time to yeah. do learning. So we take learning very seriously and also uh, me and myself and, and John, we we have set aside budget for learning. So anyone who wants to do an accreditation in in Snowflake, any of the tools that we use, uh, we don't want them to learn, you know. Like, Stuff that you're not, you're not going to get value from. Value of it. Yeah. But anything that we use, then they, they get reimbursed uh, if you get an accreditation. Mm. And it's also a culture that you need to foster top down. So I've... So I want to lead that way. So I'm like, I'm going to do this first up. Okay, if there's a new tool we are going to introduce, I want to learn it, then I'm hoping that everyone else follows that yeah. uh, similar attitude. That's a more technical learning, but at the same time, we also, I encourage my direct reports to empower their staff as much as possible. Mm. So, you know, we don't want to have that hierarchy. So, you know, we have a very flat structure. Uh, which helps people learn very quickly. Everyone in my team, almost everyone sort of reports to me on paper, even though they are formed in squads. So there is no, no deep structure. Sounds really like forward thinking, the environment that a lot of companies, either if they're not moved to that kind of model, they're striving towards getting to there. So it sounds great that you've got some of those kind of, you know, lines in the sand and those principles kind of already embedded, which is great to hear. You've mentioned your CDO, John, a couple of times. Like, what influence does he have on your kind of role in your career? Is he somebody that provides advice and guidance to you informally as well and someone that you learn from? Yeah, I think we have an we have a interesting relationship when it comes to work. So John's 
Jones a big believer in setting us for success so he doesn't get too much involved in day-to-day running of uh, of the of the team or the work uh, but he does have a lot more experience than I do mm-hmm. in data classic example was that we're not having a testing team I tried yeah. arguing with him we should like no not so there's a lot to learn from John and he also comes from a query bank so we have the banking background okay. as commonality yeah the way I think we we work day to day is that John sets the strategy at a exact level and then I help him deliver to that strategy most of the time our conversations are on what do we do next year the next three years and then the conversation within my team is about how do we get to that yeah john strategy yeah and, and that's great because the next question i was actually going to ask you is you know there's always so much to do in a day at work there's always another email to send another email to read uh, you know always more work than you can deal with how do you approach your day and how do you prioritize the right things to work on do you have a strategy around that and i'm assuming from how you spoke so far you seem to be quite methodical and structured and no doubt your actuarial background has something to to account for in that but when you approach your day what does that look like and how do you prioritize all those different competing activities i do have a method but i don't know there's an healthy method so i don't want everyone to follow well, well, if it works for you <laughs> let's, let's talk about that yeah so i think t- during my work hours Okay, I have a young family as well, so I can't work nine to five in and out sometimes. But most of the time, it's prioritized to to work on new initiatives. So if if a, if there is any new solution, my ask from the team is to I want to know about it. Uh, not so much that I want to tell you what the solution is, but I I want to know what we are building. Mm-hmm. So typically, we'll talk about what the team is working on uh, from the product owners. to understand what the what what the challenge what the solution they think i may have my input into it there is also some time that i set aside to do all sorts of presentations um i feel like even though i had a very short time learning data i've now gone past that and is all about powerpoints and uh, <laughs> and word docs portrait like that <laughs> doesn't it yeah um so for me it's very important that I spend time in the team brand. We are a servicing team. Any data team in an organization is a service provider internally, so you need to have that that brand name. So I like to think about John's strategy, how do we get there and have regular meetings with different business teams. Mm. Yeah, so so during my work time it is more looking at solutions or talking to different business partners. on what they need but i do also need to do a lot of prep work sometimes especially i regulate reporting is part of my team and i need to review, review detailed documentation okay. so i split my day from 9 to 5 with intervals in between to skate stuff but then i also have an 8 to 10 oh it's okay to do in the evening it's a bit quieter a bit quieter yeah. where i get my reviews and you know do any focus work there yeah it's very hard because i don't like anyone else doing that yeah, i my personal situation is that sure, like absolutely do it i i think people should have a good work life balance i'm saying i'm not saying i don't i i do have it but it's just different and i yeah, spend well, time with my kids so everyone's situation is different it's funny because um on a previous episode i interviewed um and somebody from westpac and they all had young families and what they found is that a call 
around 8 p.m. at night, having to work for like the four or five members of the team because everybody needed to do the family stuff. And then everyone was happy to have a call, have a glass of wine or whatever it was, you know, and do it, do it like that when it's a bit more relaxed. So I think it's, you know, seasons of life, where you are in that and that whole trajectory of things as well. One thing, Rajiv, I just wanted to kind of sort of wrap up on as well. You've been uh, head of data at Zurich now for like, what, 18 months or so, made great inroads in that time and, and introduced new technologies, new culture, new people. What does the next 18 months look like for you personally? Like what kind of goals have you got for yourself? Where would you like to be, um, you know, sitting here in 18 months time talking about what you've achieved? What kind of things spring to mind and what aspirations do you have? From a data perspective, what I can do to the data world perspective, I want people other than the so-called data professionals to do data. So one thing we're working on Zurich is how we can federate, democratize this data beyond our data teams. So there's a lot of activity on training non-technical, non-data people. Mm. We started off with finance uh, and because we are, are in finance. Yeah, yeah. So but they're also close to the numbers, right? They, numbers. They, they, yeah. they know what they need to do and, and it's quite um, structured output is what they need to get, right? So you, you, you're working towards that end goal. Yeah. So in Zurich, what I want to do is to really go that extra step in democratizing it to an extent where Business people can self-serve. We, we have used to self-serve, and this is quite a big term these days, but I want to really see that being used. I want the data guys to focus more on how to create that asset, that environment for people to effectively self-serve. So we are moving from a stage where we wanted a foundation, we have the, the minimal reporting now, how do we really federate this? So it'll be good in 18 months if I can have few teams in Zurich who say, I don't go to the data team for reports. We we created ourselves. They know what the data is. They know what it means what it to means. them. Yeah. All so we're getting all those tools sorted. You know, we have all tricks to do all the alt transformations for business. Mm-hmm. Then we are setting up Snowflake to mm-hmm. have all the data assets in an accessible manner. So that will be a good success on, on that trajectory. Uh, personally, for myself, one day I would want to be a CDO. I think there's still a lot to learn. I want to experience bigger projects. So, so far, Zurich has given me the exposure to work with other countries as well. There's mm-hmm. a lot of learning from the US, the UK, yeah. and we also play a more leading role in APAC. We're probably um, leading in terms of data governance and data management. So, you know, I'm keen to spread that across the APAC and uh, work with the other agents to to see how we can collaborate better. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, Mr. Rajiv, I think like a lot of the work that you've done so far and everything that you've mentioned so far is really setting you up for a great deal of success. And, and you know, I, I definitely think that you're on the way to add in a lot of that value and potentially more in the next 18 months because probably what you've done so far has been the hard yards to build that foundation to help you know act as that to expedite the rest of the work that you're going to do i definitely wish you all the best in that rajiv and um i would like to thank you for coming in making the time out your busy schedule with the kids and the work and all of the competing priorities really enjoyed chatting to you today so thanks so much for your time Thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Mastering Data. Hit follow to get future episodes packed with valuable insights and tips for those looking to excel in the world of data. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review to help others find the podcast. 